podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to the Anfield Index Mindfield podcast. Your monthly podcast on all things to do with psychology and Liverpool FC and just football in general. As always, I'm joined by my co-host and expert in the field, Mr. Andrew Vincent. Andrew, how are you doing? Not too bad. I've always wanted to be part of a monthly podcast, so I think actually I didn't, you know, this schedule is great. It's working. It's working. Um, So today, Andrew, um, we're actually going to deal with one of the more, I suppose, serious elements of of what the fan base have experienced over the last few days, and that is the impact on the people who attended the Champions League final as fans. Um, We'll dip into maybe the the players' piece as well, but also um, we'll look at the impact that it could have on children and even not even children who were there as well so you know it's it's been a, a topic of conversation in my own house with my own teenagers and the impact that it has on them and how even i've heard them kind of go i don't know if i'd want to go to a champions league final be, because of what it was experienced by the people mm-hmm. who went to it so i suppose what what are some of the the elements that you think would be important for anybody who was there who may have found it traumatic? Yeah. So I think I think first, like you know, just our our reason for dipping into this because like um, I had sent Al a text and just saying like this was definitely what I wanted to focus on today, and and he agreed for sure because my takeaway from the Champions League final game was like okay, we lost, but really like the only thing that that had mattered to me or stuck with me was just like the events from before and what could have happened and what almost happened and um you know i was talking to my friend about it like the game um and he was kind of recapping the first half and it was once he was recapping the first half that i realized actually how much of it i had spent on my phone trying to get updates on what was going on outside and trying to get a sense of you know i just I was super nervous about it. Like it, it scared me for sure. I saw a couple pictures, like I'm not on a lot of social media, so it made it harder to get information about what was going on inside, um, or outside. But like, um, yeah, it just like, I saw a few pictures and I saw a few like things from people saying like, that was the scariest thing I've been through in my life, or I'm just happy to be out of here. or I just want to leave now. And, um, you know, just how quickly that could have gone a lot worse. And I think like hearing now, like listening to some of the different podcasts on Anfield Index and hearing some people's accounts of what they went through both before and after and during, um, you know, it just jumped out to me how scary and how traumatic and like 
my heart just goes out really to everyone who went through that. And I think, um, you know, there's two things that I'm seeing a lot in the reaction and there were two things that I think about in the reaction is first, actually, I see, you know, there's, there's a foundation, right? The Liverpool foundation has tried to put aside resources for mental health and resources for people seeking help. And that's really important. We'll get back to that. You know, a second one is there's like a lot of really appropriate anger about wanting some justice. I think, like wanting apologies. I think that's really important. But sometimes when there's such a focus on anger, um, you know, we don't always spend enough time focusing on the fear and focusing on the traumatic part. And so it's like, you know, even if you get an apology now or we get an apology now, does that help? Yes. But does that change what people went through? Does it change how scary it was? That it cha- Does it change that people were afraid for their lives in these circumstances? No. And it's really important to be attentive to the moments of fear and vulnerability and loss of control in terms of how people can take care of themselves because an apology isn't going to necessarily be enough for you to take care of yourself and so you know today getting to this trauma response fear response um is really important and then you know like the there's a third thing that i wanted to talk about in here but it's not and i I just want to pick up just while you're thinking about it on what you're saying so when we are angry or when mm-hmm. we see anger in another human being it is usually a mask for another emotion and i think that's the the piece so i can be angry at you for something that you have or haven't done in terms of my expectations of what you have or hadn't done and rightly or wrongly right but ultimately there is something another emotion underneath that is driving that and i suspect it is fear mm-hmm. in in this case that what, what we're talking about people were afraid of what could happen. People had felt that they were not in control of the situation because they weren't in control. And when we're not in control, that's where fear comes in. So I think it's really important that you're highlighting that, yes, the anger is justified, but in order for us to help to heal ourselves, we need to recognize what is the emotion that's underlying that we can actually focus on and and start to heal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And like, um, just like the, the functional parts of the emotions is the anger will help bring some justice and help bring out the truth without that anger, without people pushing for truth and saying, this isn't right. This isn't fair. This isn't good enough. There wouldn't be the apologies that are coming out now. The real story wouldn't be getting out now. And that matters. But it's, as you said, it's not the full picture of healing. And maybe it's part of healing, but it's not the full picture of healing and spending some time with that fear and the loss of control and the vulnerability is an important part of the healing and, process. And, and also the the lack of acknowledgement mm-hmm. of what people experienced. So when we, in the stadium, people were seeing that there was, you know, it, it was because of the fans being delayed, that that was why the, that was the cause of the match being delayed and people knowing that this was not true and i can still like i was looking at it we were myself and my family were watching it and we're kind of there's no there's no lack of of um there doesn't look like people are delayed you know it's just that there's an issue that going on there not that it was there wasn't people Mm -hmm. around um and then the the subsequent lack of acknowledgement of what people experienced from mm-hmm. the French authorities, from the French police, from the pe- French government, and, and UEFA as well. Yeah. That all feeds into the anger because there isn't that justice where a simple, we're sorry, we mm-hmm. made a mistake. That straight away shows the other person that 
we see that you have been in pain. We see that we have caused distress to you. And all of a sudden, that helps you to process what's going on because, yes, they've seen and they've heard me. And as a human being, acknowledgement is one of the core things that we need. We need to be, know, to be seen. We need to know that people can see that we have worth and value. And that didn't happen on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that actually brings up the third point that I wanted to make before in the, the importance of acknowledgement. In this case, like I think there's been a lot of really nice acknowledgement from what I've seen in Liverpool communities that this was really hard and this was really scary. But I, I can also imagine there's there's narratives that go on in all of our heads and the things that we say to ourselves. And sometimes the things we say to ourselves, well, you know, maybe I went through that, but I wasn't actually hurt or, you know, no one died or, you know, like, you know, it, in the end, like everything, everyone got home okay or whatever. And people were hurt, like people were injured. And so like, you know, certainly it's not the case for everybody, but there's these things we say to ourselves that it's like, well, maybe it wasn't that bad. And like being able to like, I just stop those thoughts, like, or like notice those thoughts and notice that you're talking yourselves out of like, this was bad. And if you have an experience of feeling pain from this, of feeling sad from this, of feeling fear from this, like, don't let those either narratives from outside, if there's people saying, well, this wasn't as bad as this, or this wasn't actually that bad, or other people went through worse. And, and sometimes that's true. Like, you know, maybe you were there and you were in the stadium and someone else was outside. Like, maybe you got in fine. Like, it doesn't matter. If your experience was that this was scary for you, if your experience was that this is stuck in your head and you're having trouble feeling like you can think about other things, and I'll, I'll get to that more. If your experience was that this was hard, like, it's not about comparisons. Like it's don't let the comparison games stop you from getting that acknowledgement from other people or getting that like acknowledging yourself. And like it starts with acknowledging yourself and then not accepting less than that from other people. So if other people are trying to blow you off, you don't have to convince them. It might not be worth it, but it's important to have certain people in your life who do understand. And if people are saying, well, it wasn't that bad or this or whatever, like that's their issue. But, like, don't let that get in the way of your acknowledging yourself and what you went through. Yeah, that's so important. And, like, if what can happen is if we, if we start to not validate our own feelings and our, our experience, well, then it's very easy to hear the, the narratives from outside to back up that our feelings and our experiences were not real or that were not justified. And in mm -hmm. actual fact... Every, uh, a lot of the, the world we live in is very much outcome focused, but that's not where the the real truth lies. So, as you're saying, like I, I vividly remember sitting and watching Hillsborough as it happened. I was young; I was eleven, maybe twelve years of age. So I, I can still, to this day, remember and seeing. Like, I, I feel it in my heart even talking about it. And, and then everything that came after that. And when I saw the videos of people being just sardined into these little areas, those emotions came back. So, there, like, for me, there is, uh, you know, past trauma, even though I wasn't at Hillsborough. And I'm not Absolutely. saying that what I experienced was anything like anybody else experienced but I did have an experience of it and that's what's important and it's okay for me to have that mm -hmm. and now the rest of the world might turn around and go no it's not okay but that doesn't matter either because I know for me it is mm -hmm. and that's what I think what you're saying is important for people to be able to say that 
this is my experience and it's okay that I experience it. It's okay that for me to feel this. Yes, absolutely. And I think like, you know, something I want to get back to that's really important in understanding people's reactions to this too, is that, you know, this isn't just traumatic. There's generational trauma here. And I'll explain later more about what that means, but having Hillsborough in our past makes this worse, makes this harder, makes this scarier, makes this more complicated and emotional. And like, you know, as I said, like I, we can circle back to that, but like, um, it absolutely matters and how it, it fits with this and compounds this. Um, so if it's all right, like, you know, kind of to map out what I was thinking in some ways, like, um, really making sure I want to give a little bit of information about trauma. So in addition to working with athletes, like, I don't know if I've talked about it a ton on this podcast, but like I do like traditional psychotherapy. I'm by no means like a, an absolute expert in trauma. It's not a specialty area for me. Um, but it's something that I know about and I work with people who have been traumatized and I work with people who have experienced PTSD or complex developmental trauma. So it's certainly, it's an area where like I, I have enough education and training to like want to give some information that I think would be helpful to people in terms of understanding what happens when something traumatizing happens. Um, that usually is really important because it can help you understand some of what's going on in your body what those reactions tend to look like and what to look for in terms of taking care of yourself after a, an event like this. Um, you know, what to look for in terms of monitoring. Is this something that I should seek help for or not seek help for? But like, if you're asking yourself that question, just go seek help and we can talk more about that too. Um, you know, and then you, I can't give you exact, like give exact information about what to expect prognosis wise or how should this unfold over two weeks, three weeks, a month, because it, it changes from person to person. But, um, you know, at least some some basics of what you want to be aware of and how to take care of that. Um, so those are some of the things that I wanted to make time for. If you don't like dive course, into some of that right now. Please do. All right. So um, in terms of understanding trauma, what we're looking at is situations where someone feels threatened and out of control. Sometimes that can be in a situation where, um, you know, it's like a life threatening situation, but it can also just be like a really scary situation for other reasons. Maybe we're watching someone else who's in a life threatening situation, or maybe we're just like, um, and out of control, but violence is threatened towards us or are, like we're being violated or hurt or injured or in other ways or treated in ways that are less than human. Like any of those things, like there is some sort of event or situation um, where we are in danger and we are typically not in control. We lose control at some point. And so, you know, like the things I'm hearing is when you are shuttled into an area where you're packed in like sardines and you can't move, you have no control. When you're next to someone who has a machine gun or pepper spray and you are at their mercy, you are out of control. When your loved one is outside and you don't know whether or not they're getting in or not, you are out of control. And so like th these are the things that, that I'm talking about. And so as humans, like we do not like to be in these situations. And animals don't like being in these situations either. Um, and so we have all of these mechanisms in our brain and in our body to protect us from feeling out of control. And we have all of these ways that we react to these situations. And um, often the trajectory of someone's response to a traumatic situation is in reaction to like the, the mechanism they fall into at a given time. And I'll, I'll explain that more. But basically, 
typically one of the first things that happens when someone is in a scary or threatening situation is they look around and they do what's called social referencing. And so if you're afraid and you look around and the people around you are calm and okay, like maybe especially if you're a kid and you're looking to your parent and your parent's like, hey, this is good, everything is fine, we feel calm. So we go from this sense of like heightened arousal to this sense of calm because I feel out of control, but the people around me feel in control. And so there's a sense of safety that I can hold, a sense of safety that can be there. Um, that sense of safety is really important. If you are then looking around and the people around you are panicking also, that's when we go into more of a fight or flight response. And like people will be familiar with this idea of fight or flight probably, but it's more of like this emotioned heightened state of I need to run or I need to fight or I need to protect myself. So it's this fight or flight. I'm not in control. How do I get out of this situation? How do I fight to get control of this situation? Um, oh, don't forget don't forget to freeze, Andrew. Freeze is next. Yeah. And so freeze is freeze is a different function of the of the nervous system. And so fight or flight is like a, an emotional brain. One freeze is like a, a reptilian brain one. Like so I won't explain the brain <laughs> but it's like a, a deeper part of your brain. Like um, if you think about social referencing is kind of like this more social part of the brain that's maybe more developed in people. Actually, the first one is we worry, right? We try to reason what's going on here and make sense of it. This is this very human prefrontal cortex part of the brain. The next one down, social referencing, like more of a mammalian part of the brain, which is still further on the outside. Fight or flight, you're getting deeper into the brain now. We share this in common with more different animals, not just mammals. Now we get to this deeper part of the brain, which we also share with reptiles. And it's this freeze part of the brain. And if we can't make sense of the situation, if we can't look around us and feel safe because other people are safe, if we can't conquer the situation by running from it or by fighting and getting in control, then our brain starts to go into this freeze mode. And freeze mode is basically just like, I am going to disappear. Like consciously, I'm going to disappear. And eventually my brain will reappear. My, like I'll reappear once this is over. Like the, all systems freeze. And if you're in a situation, like if you started to feel like an out of body experience, if you started to feel like the memories are fuzzy from that period of time, if you started to feel like if I'm trying to think like just unreal, like maybe you felt totally numb, maybe you felt really disengaged and you just like kind of disappeared and reappeared on the other side. Those are like hallmarks of that freeze response. Um, so basically these are the things that happen. And like, these are the, the things that um, people go into when they experience trauma. It kind of depends on the context. It depends on your history. My big reason for wanting to share this is first of all, it gives us clues of what you should look for after. But I think maybe more importantly, the long-term effects of a scary situation on you have nothing to do with how tough you are, have nothing to do with how brave you are, have nothing to do with how much you let things bother you and has everything to do with the context you were in, with the history that you bring to that, with the mechanism your brain turned to and what was available to you at that moment. And what the research says about trauma is that the, the person who had someone to turn to who was calm might do better in the long term than the person who had someone to turn to and everyone around them was panicked. But that's not about you and how tough you are. It's not about the people around you because they're going through those own things. Like it's no one's fault. But it's really, and, and that's the big thing here, is like your brain is designed to handle these situations in a way that will keep you cognitively safe or somewhat safe or just get you through it or help you survive. And 
taking care of yourself afterwards means understanding that, but also taking it easy on yourself and giving yourself a break and just acknowledging like you have to give yourself space to heal and trust yourself and trust the world again. And it has nothing to do with how tough you are and everything to do with this is what your brain and body are designed to do. If you're listening to this, you got through the situation. And so it did what it was supposed to do. And now healing is about reacting to what's going on for you afterwards. Does that make some sense, Al? I hope I wasn't too rambly or technical no, or anything. No, it, it makes a ton of sense, Andrew. And to, to kind of build on that then. So, you know, anyone listening in, if, if they've got through it, or even if they just experienced um, challenges, watching mm-hmm. it and, and seeing yes. it. Yes. Um, they acknowledge those feelings and they they start to accept that okay this is this is all right for me to have felt this and for me to not be a superhero and that I can be vulnerable and accept that this was scary and this was tough and this has had an impact on me. Mm-hmm. Now, we're, what we're talking about is this is this is not a, an alternative to therapy. It's just talking through the process so if somebody is very traumatized and as you said you'll talk about it in a bit about going for therapy if you need it or counseling or whatever Mm -hmm. but once somebody has done that what then do you think is the next steps in order to build on that to start to the healing process so the first thing like I, i think is really important is knowing what to expect in the weeks afterwards in the days and weeks afterwards and so typically like um you might notice that it's hard for you to focus on things that aren't related to that. Your brain constantly keeps going back to what happened in that situation. You might notice that you're sort of preoccupied with it, which is appropriate, that you want to talk about it a lot, that you want to be around other people who were there or read more. Like if you find yourself reading a ton about it or reading other people's accounts or really glued to listening to other people's accounts, that's part of processing it. So being preoccupied with it, wanting to talk about it, wanting to be connected to it, wanting to explore it as part of the process. Um, You might find that your basics are off, and by basics, I mean your appetite is off. You might find that your sleeping is weird, hard for you to fall asleep because you're thinking about it or your sleep is more restless. Um, You might find that engaging with people is sort of harder. Maybe you're more in yourself. Maybe you're, like, wanting to be around people more. Maybe you have more trouble being alone. Like, um, maybe you your mood is all over the place. You find yourself getting really angry out of nowhere, really sad out of nowhere. Um, that's really appropriate in the short term, you know, and that it's uncomfortable in the short term, but it's also okay. And my advice always for someone who's just gone through something traumatic is give yourself a lot of space and focus on the basics and like trust you that you know what you need. And so if you're not a hundred percent at work and you're a little like your focus is off, don't give yourself a hard time about it. If you have a day where all you really feel like you can do is get in three square meals like spend some time with people, get to bed at a normal time and try to get some decent sleep, like do that. Like it's okay to simplify your life in the short term to facilitate your healing in the long term. Like those those things get harder when you've gone through something that's just traumatic. So if it takes more mental energy to do those things that would have been simple a month ago today, then that is totally okay. Those, what I would expect and what I typically say, and like I can't, you know, tell for everyone, but like what you should notice is that day by day that gets easier and you're able to think about other things more and be more focused on your regular life more and be more, feel more like yourself and feel more in the flow of your regular life. And the timeline for that 
isn't the same for everyone. It's not linear. If you have a good day, then you have a bad day. That's not a bad sign. Like, it's just how this goes. I would say that, like, after a week, after two weeks, after three, you should be noticing kind of some steady progress. And I, I think, like, giving yourself two weeks to, like, feel a little all over the place and then reassessing it two weeks, not to say you should be all better in two weeks, but reassessing it two weeks is really important. But, like, focus on the basics and talk about it if you can and if you feel ready to and if you want to. So not everyone is going to want to talk about things a lot, but if you have that urge or you're thinking about it a lot, like it's really important to talk about it. And so I think two things that jump that are important here. Um, talking about it and having people acknowledge your experience is part of your moving, is part of your healing. It's about recognizing that that's in the past and you're in the present and you're safe now. And being able to tell that story allows you to sort of dip into things that happened in the past and dip into things that happened now while having a foot in the present and separating them. So another really important piece of trauma and how it works in the brain, um, the brain does traumatic memories different from how it does story memories, right? So like if you think about maybe a good Champions League final experience that you had, like you can talk about here's where I was in Istanbul or here's where I was here and here's how this went and here's who I was with. Like you tell it as a story, but you don't feel like you're there. Maybe it brings you joy, but you don't feel like you're experiencing the same joy in the present moment. Um, traumatic memories, you can your brain stores them in a part of the brain or like reacts to them in a way where you feel like you're reliving it viscerally. You can feel like you're reliving it viscerally. So it's not necessarily like, hey, this happened and this was scary. And like, I can tell someone about it and the emotions are there, but I know I'm in the present. Sometimes what happens is that certain stimuli or certain parts of the story, all of a sudden we feel like you're, we're back there. And maybe this is a sound. Maybe this is a word. Maybe this is a feeling in our body. But all of a sudden, it feels like we're squeezed by people. All of a sudden, it feels like we're panicked. All of a sudden, it feels like that. that's a flashback. And that's a really important thing to pay attention to in those two weeks and in the long term of this. Um, it's very normal for certain stimuli to trigger flashbacks. But flashbacks are really scary. Flashbacks are, if you don't know what they are, especially scary. Um and sometimes what happens is people will avoid telling the story or will avoid events that think about it or will avoid information or avoid people who were there because sort of unbeknownst to them, like these things are triggering this really panicked feeling and they're just trying to not be in this really panicked reliving feeling. And so what's really important is if you notice you're having these flashbacks and these reliving experiences, um, that's a good indicator that therapy is, is going to be a good option for you and it's going to be especially helpful. Um, but also... You know, trying not to close yourself off from those or make your world gradually smaller to avoid those. Try to talk about it. Try to talk about it with people who are safe. Like, try to talk about it in places where you feel safe. Um, but, like, therapy might be a, a good option in that circumstance, too, because yeah. those can be really powerful. And I do think it's important what you're saying there in terms of speak to somebody that it's safe to speak to. Because mm -hmm. we can assume that friends and family may be the safe people to speak to but they may not be right and that's so what I mean by that is that we might have uh, a parent right um, who we go and say geez I'm still feeling the effects of, of being in, in yeah. Paris and what I went through and your parent being old school might turn around and go see 
I told you not to go. I, I, I warned you not to go. And then what you've done is you've taken the leap to be vulnerable with somebody that you thought was the right person to be vulnerable with, but in actual fact, they weren't. Because what that does, sorry, what that could do is shut you down even more and go, I'm not talking to anybody because this is the response I am most likely to get. Because you get triggered back into previous childhood um, experiences with that person. And when mm-hmm. we, we, we experience elements from our childhood in the here and now when we get triggered, like you're describing at times. So I think mm-hmm. it is important to think about who are, who are the people or the person that I can talk to this about. And I know that, that they are, they, they hold what I'm saying, um, as, as true and they will just give me the space to talk it out. And that's why ultimately maybe therapy is the best place and people can be afraid of therapy but actually Mm -hmm. what it is is it provides you a space to say whatever the hell you want and it's okay they're not making judgments they're not going to tell you that you're hurting their feelings or anything like that because they're not emotionally invested in you and are not part of your life and your circle yes they, Mm -hmm. they care that you're okay but that's not their role so it is amazing that once you step into that you have that freedom to say like even if you feel like you're going insane because of the thoughts that you're having, getting to say them out allows you to process them with somebody in a who's a professional. Mm-hmm. So it's really and, important. And you're talking with someone who has a developed view of mental health, mm-hmm. and so you're not going to have someone who ignores and doubts your experience, like Al says. Like you don't have to argue just to make mental health a thing. Like that person already is there. And I, I think the other thing too is like. You know, you watch movies, you watch videos, or you watch TV or whatever, and you see therapists, and you think, like, that's not really an experience I want. That's not a person I would want to sit with. Like, therapists are just people like me and Al. Like, we watch Liverpool. We, I don't know, do other stuff. (laughs) We're just kind of regular people. And if you don't like me and Al, there's also therapists who aren't like me and Al who are probably a good fit for you. And, like, that's good, too. So, it's like, we're just just people, um, and, like, people who you can have like a, a conversation with and hopefully be heard by. That's what we're here for is, is to hold that space because we understand how in a different way. Yeah, and I do, to take that then a step on, if you had a child who was impacted mm-hmm. by this, okay, you don't have to be the therapist for them as a parent because you, maybe you have to deal with your own traumatic experience. So I suppose if you have a child, and I'll dip in, Andrew, as well, yeah. in, this, in this element, because working with children is my uh, specialty, I suppose. Specialty. It, it's, it's the field I work most in. Um, and, I think it's fair to call it a But I wonder what advice you would give for parents who maybe have children who've, who have had, uh, who've been impacted by what? Al, I am not uh, going to you're going to answer this question. Get out of here. <laughs> Al, what would you say to parents who have kids who have been affected by this and have been affected by this themselves? Uh, thanks, Andrew. Well, you know, <laughs> as I said, firstly, it would be to, you know, fix your own mask first. So that element of, um, you know, when you're on the plane and they say to parents, do your own mask first is really important. So you as a parent might go, well, my and it's a natural reaction. My overriding thing is to to protect my child and make sure they're okay. And I can take whatever blows that come, but as long as I'm keeping them protected. 
but you can't continue to take those blows and those hits it's just impossible as a human being to do that so check in with yourself follow the process that andrew has suggested and then if you need therapy go for it if you don't that's fine that that's absolutely fine too right but what you can do is support your children through this process by talking about it if they are ready and one of the big things i've found over the years because parents can sense that something isn't right with their kids or they just get a feeling that things aren't right for their kids they go there's something wrong so right let's let's start talking about it and in all my years of working with with children i never never sit down with them and go please tell me what is wrong with you explain to me what is happening to you because straight away they're going to go no way am I talking about this because I will then have to be vulnerable and I don't even know what's going on in my own head, never mind talking about it. So I I wouldn't sit them down, unless you have that relationship built up already as a parent and a, and a child, but I doubt most parents do, right? But I would get out, right? I'd kick a football with them. I would play a, a computer game with them. I would do some cooking with them. I would go for a drive in the car with them. And if... I, I guarantee most parents listening in will will start to think, yeah, once I get them in the car, I can't actually shut them up. Whereas if I ask them a question in the house, they will just say nothing to me. So what you can do is create the conditions to allow them to talk if they want to, if they feel appropriate. And maybe it's as simple as saying, if you want to talk about what happened, we can talk about it. And leave it with them if they want. Now, if you're noticing that that is not sufficient, there's another very simple tool that I find extremely effective and that's to get a notebook and you get them to write about what it is that's going on in their head and then you respond but just respond from what's going on in your head it's creating a platform of communication without their having the emotion involved because they might stop themselves from telling them telling you exactly how they feel because they don't want to worry you Whereas if they can write it down, it's just written on a page. And you can process it then away from them on a face-to-face where you're going, oh my God, my child is completely traumatized by this. And you react, but it gives you the space then to respond, take your time and reply when you get your your logical brain back in, in place. But you might have a child who's absolutely fine with it. Who's, who, who, who does not show it. And we can presume that they're, they are, are worried about it or they're concerned about it, but they may not be. Or they may move on past it much quicker than you will as an adult because they trust you and you've told them the whole way along, we're actually okay. We're, we're actually doing okay now. And that might be sufficient for them because they have that level of trust for you. And then, if you, you still believe there is something more going on, I would absolutely just talk to get them to maybe talk to somebody who is a professional in the area working with children or they might have a really good relationship with an aunt or an uncle or a teacher and you can just say look can you just keep an eye or just check in with them and see if they're okay so there's a few different options that i would suggest there but you don't have to be your child's therapist and you you need to manage yourself for yourself to be able to manage your help your children manage things for themselves as well mm-hmm. yeah super helpful I, I i think giving that permission to not be that therapist and not be all powerful and not take those blows like it is 
a big deal and not also like taking the impetus like I have to have my child talk about this right now like I have to figure out a way to do this like take the pressure off yourself for sure yeah it's really um, important have you anything you'd like to add to that Andrew? not about that in particular but we're we're coming up on our our time here and there's a couple other things like I really wanted to address and so you know, sometimes, you know, we talk about the physical reactions to trauma and the emotional reactions to trauma, but there's also like this, these sort of existential reactions to trauma. And like, that sounds very out there, but like, there's two pieces of this that are so important. And the first one, like, I want to talk about Hillsborough and I want to talk about generational trauma. And so there's something different that it's like for a Liverpool fan to watch other Liverpool fans in that situation. I'm going to get emotional and I'm a million miles away from this, right? Like, I've only seen documentaries. And um, we know what happens. We know what can happen. Like, and and um, seeing people you care about crammed in like that, and knowing that one thing changes here, and people are going to get crushed, is terrifying to us in a way where it's not terrifying to people who it hasn't happened to. Um, and that makes a huge difference in how scary it is. And. Um, that's really important. I think the other thing, too, is, like, there's a reminder. So Simon Brundish gave his account of this. And he talked about being with his son, being next to an officer who was caging them in with other people and laughing and sneering. And there's a reminder there that we can be treated by other people as less than human. And that us as Liverpool fans, in particular, can be treated as less than human and our pain and suffering can be ignored and we can be put through terrible things in a way that other people aren't always subject to. And um, those reminders make this different, like significantly different. And so if those are things you're troubling with, it's hard to make sense of the world afterwards if that's never been you. If you're Simon Brendish, like not to single him out, but anyone in that group, and you've never had someone laugh at you while you were trying to survive and thought for a second, I might die here. It is hard to make sense of a world where this was you. And these are people you care about. And it's okay that it's going to take time to understand that. You're home, you're safe, you're okay, and that's a big deal. But, like, in the meantime, getting used to a world where something like that could happen, whereas a month ago it was maybe inconceivable to you that this could be you, is a different world to live in. And that takes adjusting to. And as a Liverpool fan, we always know in the back of our heads that that could be us. And I've never even been to a game. So for people who have been there, who experienced Hillsborough, who watched it on TV, like, um, this is worse. Who lost people during Hillsborough? Like, this is going to be worse. It's a reminder of how we can be treated and what that can mean and how unsafe the world can be at times. And so um, the world can also be safe. The world can also be fine. Going to football matches can be safe. Going to football matches can be wonderful, but it's okay that it's going to be confusing for a little bit. And that's so important it's okay that it could be confusing for a little bit for anyone who experienced well I'll take my experience so I experienced mm -hmm. watching Hillsborough and, and and all that happened with that in the aftermath and it it did change my psychology around going to football matches until it didn't and time allowed me to not think about that being a possible thing. So giving ourselves that time to reestablish our sense of surety in the world 
is really important. And the reality of, of it is, is that most people will go to matches and be absolutely fine. Most people will walk down the street and be fine. Most people will go to a concert and be fine. And that is the world we have to live in. But it's okay if it's a, that's a bit disrupted right now after what has happened. And it's okay to give yourself the space to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. It's so important. Because if we take care of ourselves, then we can start to take care of the people around us. But it's important to acknowledge it and acknowledge the things, and not necessarily acknowledge to the world. You, like, if you are a, a strong person who is unwavering, you're not going to sit down with people and cry and say, I was really scared, or you're highly unlikely to do it. But it's okay. that's okay. You don't need to do that, but it's all right to sit down in your own space and allow yourself to be vulnerable in whatever way that feels appropriate to you to try and process what's going on. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, like, I think um, even if you just need to play this back and hear like other people saying that this is okay, like we were targeted and that was scary and it caused people harm and could have caused a lot more harm. And that was scary too. Absolutely. Andrew, thank you so much for your expertise and your insight in this. It's, we, I think we, we will probably come back to, to this maybe in our next pod or in a future pod. Um, but what I think we hope people will take from this is that it's okay to take care of yourself mm-hmm. and, and, and reach out to people if you need that support. Absolutely. Okay, Andrew, until next time, take care of yourself. You too. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.